All right, Father's Day. I, as you guys know, love fathers. I love the call to being a father. I love the role of being a father. I, I think it's hugely impactful on our lives. And uh, as we give today, I'm going to start with a story about my dad. Uh, one of the things that uh, I've learned to do is not say this is my, my favorite story. I have like 15, 20 stories about my dad. And so this is one of the stories about my dad. Uh, growing up, uh, I could spend time with my dad anytime I wanted. I was fortunate. I, didn't, I could never complain. Dad never spent time with me. All I had to do was go work with my dad. Uh, we lived on a farm. I could work at any time and spend as much time as, with my dad as I wanted. And through the years, as I, I'm sure is true for many of you, I had a lot of opinions about my dad, uh, what he could do better, and why didn't he do this this way, and why does he... Uh, and, and just different times. Loved him, but frustrated. And uh, I, I remember when I was, I think, 27, I might have been 27, 28 years old, and I watched my dad go through something where he had to make some pretty big decisions, and he was interacting with a group of people from our church, and, and I watched him in that situation, and it dawned on me, wait, dad is a man who struggles with temptations and fears and lies and habits, just like every other man, just like me. He, he is trying to figure out how to follow Jesus just like any other man. It transformed my relationship with my dad. It went from him being someone who was my dad, who I had all these opinions about, to, over the years, us becoming really close spiritual friends. We were able to walk through things spiritually, not because my dad learned to understand me, but because I came to understand my dad. And we're going through a time now, this is my perception, uh, we're going through a time now where we've just, we're just coming out of a fight. And so whenever you face something that's really tough, many times you'll actually, you'll, you'll take on that battle and you'll go to war. And you're like, I think I'm okay, I think I'm okay, I think I'm okay. And you're coming to the end of that battle and you're like, ah, oh, this is great, we're going to be able to, we're going to be able to just move forward from here. But you come to the end of that fight and, it, and it's, it's over and you've won, and you go, I'm exhausted. And we're coming out of the pandemic, we're coming out of the COVID, in terms of what's happening out there, in terms of, of people are talking about normal, that kind of thing. Whatever's happening, it's not like it was, right? And so there's a temptation to be able to go, yeah, and now let's go. But I think what's going to happen in our church and in lots of areas is you're just going to be exhausted. You'll be like, I am so, I don't understand. What's going on with me? What? I thought this was going to be great, but I'm just, I can't get my feet going. Well, I want to take advantage of this time to, we're going to work through this series called Jesus and You. And I want us to learn about Jesus. I want us to share life with Jesus. I want to connect with Jesus in this time. By the way, when I say Jesus and you, 
what comes to mind? Do you know Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? Well, the goal of this series is for us to learn a little bit about him, primarily so that we can share life with him, so we can hang with him, so we can be with him as we work our way through life. And each week, we're going to start with a video that teaches you a little something about Jesus. And this week, we're going to start with, how do you read the gospel? There are four books in the Bible that are ancient biographies of Jesus. The gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And while individual stories about Jesus and his teachings are familiar to many people, these books have way more to offer if we read them from beginning to end and see how they connect Jesus' story into the overall biblical storyline. So let's talk about how to read the gospel. First of all, this word gospel, what does it mean? Well, it means good news. Which raises the question, good news about what? Well, in Mark's gospel, Jesus enters the story announcing that the time is fulfilled. God's kingdom has come near, so turn around and trust this good news. So the good news is about God's kingdom arriving, but what does that mean? Well, it's Jesus' way of summarizing the whole biblical story that leads up to himself. The whole story. Okay, give me the short version. Well, the story begins with God creating a good world and then appointing humanity as his representatives to rule it. But then the humans rebel over and over, leading to a world of violence and death. That's a problem. But God's committed to making it work. So he chooses Abraham and his family to restart the project. Then through Moses, God brings the family into a garden land of abundance so that he can restore all of the nations through them. Right, Israel becomes a kingdom with amazing kings like David, but eventually Israel rebels too, and it leads them into destruction. But Israel's prophets said that God wasn't giving up. He was going to personally come and restore Israel so that his justice and peace could spread to all nations and to all creation. This hope was called the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus said he was bringing to Israel. Yes, Jesus' good news is about God's kingdom, the new creation that was arriving to restore humanity to their role as God's partners in ruling the world. This is why the gospel has so many stories about Jesus liberating people from death and disease, along with all of his teachings about generosity to the poor or forgiveness and loving your enemies. He was inviting people to live in God's new world. Exactly. All right, Old Testament and New Testament, they're connected. The Old Testament leads up to the New Testament and moves forward. And uh, the challenge for this series is that you take the book of Mark. I chose the book of Mark because it only has 16 chapters. It's the shortest gospel. And you read it all at one time. I know it. I know. I mean, it must be like 17 or 18 pages long. And you're like, that's impossible. Now, there is something you need to understand about reading the Bible. The Bible is alive. That's why you can't read very much of it at a time, because it so impacts you, and you wrestle with it while you're reading. But here's the challenge. It is summer, right? You go to the beach, right? You sit in your yard somewhere, someplace, or you turn on the air conditioning, you sit in your house. You sit somewhere. The challenge is that don't try to interact with each page or each verse. Keep reading. Read from Mark chapter 1 all the way to Mark chapter 16. It'll take you 
at most about an hour to be able to do that. It's actually not a very long book. There's an experience that happens when you read the whole book that you don't get when you take it piece by piece by piece. Don't try to understand it. Don't be like, ah, how does it all fit together? Read the whole thing, and then you can come back and take a look at those pieces. But maybe for the, for the first time in your life, read a whole book of the Bible, take Mark, and go at it. Okay, deepening my friendship uh, with Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Let's jump in and find out a little bit about him. Today we're talking about that Jesus is intense. Uh, I love intensity. I love people who are intense. I love hanging out with people who are intense. I love competing with people who are intense. Jesus is intense. We're going to take a look at three emotions. He has lots of emotions. We're going to take three, a look at three emotions today. The first one is he has compassion, therefore you can rest in him. He has compassion. Compassion is not a complicated word. It, 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 it means to have the feeling. It, it, the word itself is that you have this feeling inside of you. Like when, you, when you see someone who's in need, when you see someone hurting and you, you want to do something about it, something needs to be done about it, that's compassion. And Jesus has compassion. Let's take a look at for what that he has compassion. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Now, oftentimes, when we look at somebody's life and we see someone who is physically hurting, we have compassion. And we're convinced that if we could fix that thing in their life, that's what they need. They need me. I need to fix that piece in their life. This is what Jesus saw of people who were hurting that way because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. People who are wandering, they don't know who to follow. And so the evil one and others are able to harass, attack. What's the role of a shepherd? What, do, what does a shepherd do? Why does a sheep need a shepherd? Number one is to protect. It's to protect against the enemy, the wolves that come to attack. When, when he sees you without a shepherd, he has compassion. Secondly, it is to make sure that you take them to fresh water and green grass. You, ever since you were little, but uh, it's, it's so true with you every day now, right? People are standing up going, follow me, follow me. You can trust me. Take me where you know. I'll take you there. I'll take you there. I'll take you there. Follow this line of thinking. Follow this morality. Follow this path. It's gotten to the place where in our culture, we can't even talk to this about each other because somebody takes one side and somebody takes the other side and you, you can't even talk about it. What is that? That actually is people without a shepherd. That is... And they had this back then, false teacher after false teacher after false teacher, not just about the Bible, but all of life, saying, come follow me, come follow me. Lastly, it is to be able to take them through the desert to the other side. Oftentimes, a shepherd has to take the sheep through a place where there, aren't, there isn't water, there isn't green grass, because to get to where you want to go, 
where the, there's lots of water and lots of green grass, you've got to take them through that desert. He has compassion when he sees people whose lives are being destroyed because of the bad decisions they're making because that person has no shepherd. One of the huge, huge roles of a father is to be that protector and that provider. And a number of you have grown up either without a father or you have a father, but he's absent. Jesus has incredible compassion for that situation that you're in. Then he said to his disciples, <clears throat> excuse me, so, here's the question for you, though. I'm sorry, we got two more. Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. The people have been with him for a couple of days. They're, not, they're so excited about his teaching. They're, so, they're feeding on his words to the point that they haven't eaten. He has compassion for them when they're hungry. He has compassion for people when they go through physical harm, when they go through physical, when they're physically hungry, when they're hurting. He has compassion for that situation. The third one is, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So, the only, it's her only son, and she's a widow. So from a financial standpoint, this is a very hard situation for this lady to be in because in that culture, if you had no male, it was very difficult to make money. It's also her only son, and she's already lost her, her husband. And he watches her weep, and he says this, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out. That's the word for compassion. His heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. So when you've lost someone, when there's someone that you've loved and you've lost them, he has compassion for you. He sees that. And here's the word. The word is that it actually causes a knot in his stomach. It causes his heart to go out to you. But here's the question. Do you need compassion? Do you need it? You see, if someone shows you compassion when you don't think you need it, it irritates you. Like, I don't need that. What are you doing? Don't, don't worry about me. I got it. I'm okay. Hey, take your compassion and show it to those people. So, for it to be Jesus in you, you have to see that you need a Savior. You're in a position where you don't have a shepherd. Like, no, I know what I'm doing. <clears throat> you may be in a place where you're like, I, I already know what I believe about whatever the issues of the day are. Sexuality, what I believe about identity, what I believe about what's right and wrong for the schools. And <clears throat> excuse me. 
I, I, I know what I believe. You may be in a place where you're being harassed, where the enemy is attacking you, where you're being defeated, but you don't see the compassion of Jesus because you don't think you need it. I, I, don't, I don't need that. I just need to be stronger. Same is true with being hungry or being brokenhearted. Do you need him? You see, you may think Jesus doesn't understand you. But what if it's that you don't understand him and so you have at arm length? You're, 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 you don't realize it. But your pride and your self-sufficiency, even your own wisdom, your own knowledge, keeps you from accepting, understanding. It's Jesus in you. The second one is that Jesus loves, Jesus' love is deeply emotional. And it happens in real time. So now that we have uh, videos of everything, right, they talk about it happening in real time. So if you go to YouTube, you can watch a ball game that was, was played two days ago. Well, that's not real time. Real time is when you interact, you go to the ball game. Real, real time is like you go to the ball game, right? You're in the stadium. You do not know what's going to happen next. You, you are interacting with the game. And so when your team does really well, you're elated. You're all excited. And then when they go behind, oh, you're all, all down. And then they go, go ahead. Oh, they're all excited. Why? Because you don't know what's going to happen next. You're in real time. Now, Jesus' love is deeply emotional and in real time. Therefore, you can share in his life to the fullest. What do we know about Jesus? One of the most basic things everybody has heard about Jesus is he's God. So if Jesus is God, therefore he knows, class, what does he know? Everything. He knows everything. He knows past, present, and future He knows what's going to happen. He's also all-powerful. He can basically make anything happen that he desires to make happen. So, if you go to a ball game with Jesus, wouldn't you think that'd be boring? Like, you're jumping up and down and you're crying, right? And Jesus is over there going, I know what's going to happen next. No big deal. Not only that, which team do you want to win? Right? He's all powerful. He can do that. He doesn't. This is amazing. This is all through the Bible. God always interacts in real time. Meaning, he doesn't doesn't interact with you as if, I already know the future. I'm all powerful. We're all good. That's not how he interacts in real time. Watch what he does here. So this is the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is one of Jesus' closest friends. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus, same family. And Lazarus had gotten sick. They'd sent for Jesus to come. And Jesus waited. He didn't come. 
and Lazarus dies. Now Jesus comes. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, Mary and Martha, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he, he was deeply moved in spirit. Deeply moved in spirit is not compassion. It's actually a word that it's like the snorting of a horse. It's like the pawing of your foot. It's like an angry, like frustrated and troubled. Also, not a positive word. Now, we don't actually know what he was troubled or reacting to. Some people think that what they used to do back then is they would hire mourners. You would literally pay people to walk along the funeral procession, and they would scream and holler and wail, but they didn't know the person. They were just hired to do it. And Jesus, you, you know he doesn't like hypocrisy, but we're not exactly sure. But what we are sure about is this. He is emotionally reacting to the moment. That's what we're sure about. The next thing is, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. How do, how, when you, for, you probably heard that before. Like, oh, by the way, trivia. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? This one. That's right. When you read that, what do you, how do you interact with that? You, you think he like... The, the verse or the word means tears flowed. He cried. He bawled. Wait a minute. Do you know what he does next? He heals them. He raises them from the dead. He knows he's going to raise him from the dead. He doesn't live based on what he knows in the future when he interacts with us. He does it in real time. Therefore, when, you're, when, you, when it's Jesus and you, there's this loving relationship. Emotional, loving relationship between you and Jesus. And it's not one-sided. It's not you being all emotional and Jesus going over here going, that was like a six. I think he can do better. No, he is, he loves you and interacts that way. Third thing, Jesus gets angry. He gets angry. Therefore, some things are worth getting angry about. Now, what we're going we're gonna to discover is he gets angry, what's called, it's called righteous anger. He gets angry for things you should get angry about. Anger is the protective emotion. Anger is there because anger protects. If you walk out of church and you, little, your little one is uh, about three, running down the, the sidewalk here and about three steps away from running into the street, there's going to be an angry outburst from your voice, and it's appropriate. Why? Because you want to protect them. Not only that, if there's tables and chairs in the way, you will throw them aside and throw that aside. If there's people in the way, you'll throw them aside. Because it is appropriate. Because anger actually protects. That's what it does. Therefore, 
You can trust him to protect you. This story takes place when it's on, the, on a Saturday. It's a Sabbath. And so they're all there together in, in the synagogue. And there's a man in the synagogue who has an arm that is crippled. It, it, it's all tightened up. He can't, he can't stretch it out. He can't use his arm. And they're having a conversation about whether or not Jesus is going to heal him on the Sabbath, which would break their laws. Now, this is very important. This is part about knowing about Jesus. Jesus never, ever broke any Old Testament or Jewish law. Ever. He kept it perfectly. But they had added rules to the law. Uh, sometimes parents are guilty of this, right? So we want to keep the kitchen clean. Great. Therefore, you cannot enter the kitchen from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. I thought the goal was to keep the kitchen. It is. And the only way I can figure out how to do that is I don't want you in my house. Right? What would you do? You added a rule to the law. So that's what they did. And this was Jesus' response when he came in. He looked around at them in anger. That word means anger. He's mad. And deeply distressed. This also is a word of emotion. It's a word of how you're disgusted and your stomach is in turmoil because of what you see happening. At their stubborn hearts, Jesus hates self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is when you think you're going to get to God based on who you are and how well you behave. Self-righteousness is actually thinking, I have the ability to behave in such a way that God will accept me. Self-righteousness is not just a religious thing. It's for everything. You can be self-righteous about race. You can be self-righteous about identity. You can be self-righteous about cleaning. You can be self-righteous about almost anything. And when you do, you will always not do what is best and loving and wise for people. You will always do what is harmful in the name of whatever you're self-righteous about. And that's what these people were doing. And hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Now, this is how evil self-righteousness is. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. It was the final straw. You healed a man on the Sabbath? That's it. we got to get rid of him. They could not see the harm and the evil they were doing. It made Jesus angry. Now, for many of you, there is something that has happened to you in your life, and you were genuinely wronged. Or you saw someone genuinely wronged. You were either used or abused when you were young. It might be when you were older. It might be something that you went through. Maybe you were cheated on, uh, betrayed in some way. And you're angry. You're really angry. And you think that it can't be Jesus in you. 
Because Jesus had been, been portrayed, portrayed to you as someone who is nice all the time. Matter of fact, I wish they'd have never made any movies about Jesus. Like, they always portray him, right? They always portray him as super sad. It's like, I'm Jesus, and I'm full of joy. You should follow me. That's not Jesus. He's full of joy. He also got really angry. So you know what that means? If you're angry about something that genuinely needs to be changed, Jesus is more angry. That person that hurts you, and you're like, I can't connect with Jesus because I'm so angry at this person, I'm sure he just wants me to forget it. No. He's more angry than you are. This is a pretty extreme way to explain it, but it's absolutely true. He created hell because of that evil thing they did to you. Now, you're mad at that person, but you're not ready to create hell. You're not going that far. So, with both of these, I want to come back to this question. Do you need to be loved? Do you need Jesus to emotionally love you? Are you okay? Do you you view Jesus as someone that has given you a mission, he's told you what to do, and you're going to go do it? And when you think of him being compassionate and you think of him loving you that way, you're like, no, no, I need to get these things straightened out first. Once I get these things straightened out, then we can talk about. That means it's not that he doesn't understand you. He does. You don't understand him. You're interacting with him as if he's someone different than you think he is. With the anger... You, you have lived years alone. And it doesn't mean you don't believe in Jesus, and it doesn't mean you haven't even, that you have never accepted him as your Savior. That might be true. But on this issue, you're walking alone. Because, because, not because he doesn't understand you, but because you don't understand him. We've all experienced that, right? How many of you love surprise, either gifts or surprise birthday parties? Awesome, right? I hate them. My, my family loves surprise things. They love it, right? And I'm a pastor of a church, so from time to time, people come along like, we're going to do this surprise party. You know what that means? Fights. That's what that means. Why is there fights? Because in your, in your lovely, beautiful, loving desire to surprise this person and make it the greatest day of their life, you lie to them, you, you, you make me lie to them, you make up stories that are ridiculous, and we have to drive them all over town. There's all these things, right? And there's actual fights that break out. And the person you're starting to surprise 
They're now mad at you, and you're mad at them. Why? Because you have no idea who they are and what they're really doing, right? Ah, oh, I didn't know you were trying to surprise me. If I'd have known you were trying to surprise me, I wouldn't have called the police. <laughs> I, I didn't know. Right? And so many times when we interact with Jesus, and I see Jesus in you, and you're like, oh yeah, Jesus is really cool, he's over there. No, he's not. He's compassionate. But the question is, do you need it? Do you need a Savior to be compassionate? Do you need Jesus to meet you where you are with the temptations that you're failing at, with the way you're treating your family? I need to get better. No. You need a shepherd. You're lost. You're making all these decisions for what you think is the right reasons, but you're lost. And you don't need to prove to Jesus that you can do it and you can make it and you got what it takes. You need to accept his compassion. You need to be able to sit at his feet. You need to know that you're loved and not just know it, but emotionally accept it, interact with it, beg for it, cry. You need to know that this hurt that you've been carrying around because you didn't think Jesus wanted you to be angry He is more angry than you are. And you can come to him. Does he have a way to deal with it? He does. But that's not the point. Because if I told you the way to deal with it, you just walk away from Jesus and go, oh, I'm going to go do that. But first, it's got to be Jesus in you. First, it's got to be bringing that anger to him and knowing. (laughs) No, no. That's not a place to split you. For many of you, you're you're, going to be shocked. Like, I had no idea that's who you were, Jesus. I had no idea I could share that with you. At the end of each each week, we're going to talk about these things that God has called you to. He invites you to. Because Jesus came to invite people. Right? He came, he showed up. He, he doesn't hardly do anything for 30 years. We're going to talk about that in one of the videos. And then he starts inviting people. It talked about the kingdom of God, right? He starts inviting people. <clears throat> and there's three things he's going to invite you to. One is rest. Two is to follow. And three is to lead. And so we're going to focus today on rest. He's invited you to rest. Now, I don't know all of you and I don't know all of your work, but 
Many times I hear people say this, they're like, I've been working so hard, I gotta, I gotta rest. I wanna, and you're just gonna do nothing. But you don't pound rocks, guys, right? You, you don't actually physically work. It's your spirit that's tired. It's your soul that is tired. Why? Because you don't have a shepherd you trust. So you're harassed all day long. You're trying to figure life out. You're trying to make the right decisions. You're trying to deal with these temptations. And you're tired. You're trying to earn God's love. You're trying to earn your family's love. You're trying to earn love. No, 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 no. Rest in Jesus. You're trying to deal with hurt and anger. Nothing tires you out more than being angry and bitter. It makes you so tired. He invites you to rest in his compassion, his love, and believe it or not, his anger. Men, he then he invites you to follow. It's kind of like this. Your boat tipped over. For some of us, our boat's all the way tipped over. And when he invites you to rest, he actually wants to just take your boat, get it upright. He wants to teach you who he is, and he, he wants to help you to understand forgiveness and, and, and ha, Jesus in you. Then he asks you to follow. Follow is when you start getting your boat going. And he asks you to no longer follow the other shepherds that are, that are harassing and they're liars and they're cheats and, and it's just for this life. Then, men, dads, he asks you to lead. He says, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. That means I invite other people to get into my boat which is now turned upside, right side up, and it's going right behind Jesus. Now, you may be a dad by biology. It doesn't mean you've accepted the role of a father. I, I believe this with all my heart. Other than coming to Christ, nothing, nothing will change your life like accepting the role of a servant leader of my children. Why will I love my wife so she believes the, she's the most loved woman on the face of the earth? They're all grown up now. But I used to say, simple, because I need to lead Christopher. I need to lead Erica. I need to lead Alicia. I need to lead Alexis. But it's hard and I accepted the role. So this week, rest. But in the back of your mind, men, it's Father's Day. Have you accepted the role that Jesus has invited you into to lead? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much.
for your intensity. You're so intense. Your compassion is intense. Your love is intense. Your anger is intense. And all of it, all of it is awesome. It's for us. So Jesus, today, I pray, not just for our fathers, but everyone, Open our eyes, not so you can understand us, but so we can understand you. Convict us. That our pride is our enemy. That we need your compassion. I need a shepherd. I need your love. I need your anger. Jesus, I need you. In your name we pray, amen.